Let's go to God in prayer before we open our time together. God, again, we come before your throne of grace, humbled, grateful, and in awe of the fact that not only have you prepared this place for us, but you love us so deeply, so much so that you sent your Son to die on the cross that we might live one day with you. I pray, God, that being aware of the things that you have done for us motivates us to be more like you, to allow ourselves to be open and available to you, to be shaped into your image and into your likeness. I pray for the spirit that dwells within us, for those who are covered in the blood of your Son, that we would not hamper the way that spirit desires to work in and through us, but we would be wise and discerning, seeking out that voice as it leads us from this place forward into the world. We pray for these moments as we open your word, that we would be willing to be convicted and challenged where we need to be, encouraged where we need to be, and emboldened where we need to be, that we would just simply be available. May your spirit work on us, may, may you work through us, and may you work in us. We thank you for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, we got a couple more weeks here as we uh, kind of look at some of these metaphors uh, that are used mostly by Paul, but we looked at one from Hebrews last week, um, which really falls in line with a lot of the metaphors that are used for running the Christian race, walking the Christian walk. The Christian life is, is viewed in light of this environment, this arena. Some of that is because um, the culture they were in, the Greek culture, was very competition-focused. We have no idea what that means, do we? Look, man, I can make anything a competition. Um, even a little game of throwing a frisbee around at some chain buckets. You know, I found out that the Havilands are disc golfers. And so I said, you know, I saw Samuel Owen, one of these kids that put something on about this golf. And I said, hey, next time you go, let me know. I'll come out there with you. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm not that good. You know, I'm just, I'm just kind of learning. <laughs> I teach these boys a thing or two. I show up for a little practice, and we're out there in a the little football field throwing practice shots, and both of them are out there just lacing these discs out there. And I'm like, hey, well, like you said, you just started. That's not fair. I feel like I've been a little uh, taken. Um, I still be single, though. I still be it. I don't know what that makes me if I'm proud that, 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 I, that I beat him. But we had a good time. And sometimes it's the competition that actually makes it enjoyable. Um, Dylan, I don't know if he still is. We'll have to have a foot race when Dustin gets home to see if you're still faster than him. But when they were growing up, he was always the faster of the two. And he took every opportunity to make sure Dustin knew when and how he was faster. So whether we were racing to the front door or to the car or just to go do anything, it was always a race. We turned many things into a competition. It's a part of our culture as well. And so we, we see how some of these metaphors would come up as, you know, even if these people weren't athletes, they understood the culture of athletics. I think the truth, the same is true for us. You may not be athletic, you may not enjoy sports, but you understand the nature of competition. 
Christian walk, the Christian life is framed this way so frequently. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul writes these words to Timothy, Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. Right, that's the kind of the scene that, that Paul sets up here for Timothy. Fight the good fight. How many times have we heard that phrase be used, not just in church circles, but in our community? Hey man, you gotta fight the good fight. I bet there's a lot of people in our culture that don't even realize they can find that phrase in Scripture. Because it's a nice word of encouragement. It's inspiring. It can mean a lot of good things. It can mean fight well. It can mean choose the right fight. It can mean a lot of things when we think about it. But Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight for the faith. And that, mean, that means choose the right fight and fight it properly. A lot of things that kind of fold in to this understanding. But ultimately that means that if we're going to live by faith, we are going to inevitably find ourselves struggling or competing for the faith. Now the difference is when you and I are in competition out there and in other places, we're competing against one another. If Samuel beats me at this golf, I lose. And vice versa. If we're running a race and we're running against one another, we have one winner and one not winner. I don't remember if it was and one or no fear that said second place is first loser. He says you're going to compete for the faith. You're not competing against one another. You're competing against evil. You're competing against things that are standing against you because you are contending not for place or for standing with God. You're contending for the faith. For the right way of life. For justice and peace and love. And we're going to come upon those times when we're going to be asked to contend. More often than not, the faith walk is a struggle. You've had those mornings where you walked up, where you walked up, where you woke up and walking was tough. I have more of them now than I used to. Some of you guys around here don't necessarily understand. Although after a good workout or, or, or a hard game on the field or somewhere, you know what it is to wake up and it hurts to move. It takes a lot less to make me feel that. As the body ages, things make us weaker and more prone to those aching and that struggle. And sometimes it's just simply a struggle. Sometimes in our walk in faith, it is a struggle just to put one foot in front of the other. It hurts. We're weary. We're beaten down. Our hearts are sore. Our minds are sore. Our emotions are sore. He says, fight the good fight for the faith. Remember what you've done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The encouragement comes from Paul in these words. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And that, that is a word of encouragement because there are some times where I really just can't see the road ahead. 
Like I know and I feel and I believe that God is calling me to go a certain way, a certain make a certain choice, do a certain activity. But I'm looking forward and I'm going, I don't really see how God's going to work in this. And Paul kind of tells us this, it's okay. You don't have to see it. Because we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. The faith is that if God has led us to something, He is going to provide us the avenues through which we can overcome. And I have yet to be in a place where I have acted in faithfulness to God and He has refused to show up. Because God always shows up. And I probably said that wrong. It's not that God shows up, it's that I finally decide to show up where God has always been. It's not like I get somewhere and just kind of twiddle my thumbs waiting for God to do His thing. It's like He's sitting there waiting. It's about time. It is about time you heard me. It is about time you trusted me. It is about time you've done, you do what I've been asking you to do for a long time now. Sometimes I convince myself that I just have to see the way forward in order to take it. John chapter 20 and verse 20, 29, Jesus says these words, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Right? Jesus is talking to his you know, apostles there at that time. He says, look, you have seen this transpire. You believe. And that's good. Right? He, doesn't, he, he doesn't condemn them because they needed to see that, to believe it. But he puts this little word for those who come after Because not everyone's going to get the chance that the apostles got. He says, oh, but those who haven't necessarily seen the things that you've seen, yet they still believe. Blessing is great when that transpires. So how do we contend for the faith? How do we fight for the faith? How do we struggle and compete for the faith? Right? The first thing that's important is this. Know your competition. All right, that's true in business. That's true in athletics. That's true in life. That's true in our spiritual walk as well. You've got to know who you're fighting against. You gotta know who the opponent is because we have a tendency to fight battles against people that are on our side. We have a tendency to fight battles against people that we're supposed to be fighting with and for, not against. But Satan, the evil one, the deceiver, the father of lies, has all of these things mixed up in our lives to convince us that you are the enemy and we take our focus off of the true competition. Know who it is that you are fighting against. And not only that, but we've got to be willing to fight like Jesus. And that is a little more difficult for us, particularly in our context, because everything around us tells us don't fight like Jesus. Because everything that Jesus says about how to win this battle, this war, doesn't make sense to us as Americans or even as humans. Love your enemy. What does that even mean? Bless those who mistreat you. What does that even mean? Bless those who curse you. That's not the way this works. What do you mean revenge is mine, says the Lord? That's not the way we want to do things. What do you mean choose the path of sacrifice to give up your life? If anyone would gain his life, he would give it up. That doesn't even make sense in Common Core math. And I'm sure Common Core math makes sense to some people, but it doesn't to me because I wasn't raised on that. And I try to read through it, and I'm like, this, 
This isn't logical to me. And, and so many of Jesus' teachings are the same way. But Jesus, but you don't understand. You don't understand the kind of pressures that are on me to defend myself. You're saying choose the path of sacrifice? To love those who would hate me? To love those who would see me dead if they could? He says, if you want to be my child, if any man would come after me, he would deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that would be a choice that we would be called and will be called to make day by day. Because that is the way Jesus fought battles. We know your competition. Fight like Jesus. We learn what it is to love and to serve others. To be in this place where my life is finds fulfillment when you are made complete. That it is that life of service that brings me to a place where I understand who and what God has called me to be. It's one of the ways we learn to fight like Jesus. And maybe the hardest thing to do in our culture today is to refuse to compromise the truth. Because one of the greatest lies that we've been told is that truth is relative. And even people who say truth is relative don't really believe that because if I send you and get hold of a red pen and say this is blue, they're going to know that I'm not telling the truth because the truth is it's red. And if I say, well, not to me, that's blue. They say, well, you're not right because that's not blue. So we know that there is some form of objective truth, but what we understand when we say truth is relative is that, well, you have your truth and I have my truth, and they're equally as viable. Because we've conflated experience or opinion or perception with truth. If we're going to contend for the faith, we have to refuse to compromise those things that are true. Objectively true. Those guideposts that we find in the words of Scripture, in the words of, of God's people, preserved for us. To know that when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, is not something that we can relativize and just say, well, you might perceive something different, and, and your truth might be something different. No. There is no other truth except that what God has given. And living in a world where all of the things around us are created and geared to push us to the extreme, to polarize humanity. We have to be willing to speak for the truth when the time comes. And Paul tells Timothy here as he wraps up his, his conversation, or this, this section here, he says, Take hold of your life in eternity. Think about that for a moment. All right, there are things that you have been given that you may not have necessarily taken hold of. There are gifts that we have that maybe we haven't capitalized on. I, I think of the parable that Jesus tells in, in Luke chapter 15 of the two sons, right? The son who left and, and squandered his wealth. And there was a famine in the land. And when the, father, when the son came home, the father greets him and has a party for him. And the son who stayed and has been working, he said, this isn't fair. He says, this son of yours left. And he came back and you killed a fatted calf for him. What about me? 
I've been your slave in a way. I've been faithful to you. And the father looks at the son and he says, son, don't you know? This is all yours. You weren't a fat and calf. You just had to ask. Everything I have is yours. I see myself sometimes living this life and, and, and God may be looking down and going, you're missing out. You're missing out because you aren't taking hold of the gifts and blessings that I am laying out for you. All you got to do is take them. He says to Timothy, take hold of your life in eternity. John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the only one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is the life that you have been called to take hold of. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. Do we understand what that means for our life to be hidden in Christ? Right? That means every blessing that has been afforded Christ is afforded to us because our life is not separated from His. We are folded in to the Messiah. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That's powerful stuff. That is life-changing, earth-shattering stuff. That is darkness revealing. Obstacle overcoming. Transforming stuff. Your life has been hidden in Christ so that when Christ is revealed in glory, you are too. Do you understand? Do you understand what that means for the life that we live in Christ? Everything that is afforded to the Messiah is afforded then to us. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I've been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind doesn't mean that we forget the lessons that we learned from it. You've probably seen the video of, uh, I think it was an NCAA college track meet. And uh, this guy is leading the race by probably a quarter of a lap. And he comes around the bend and the crowd is cheering and he's just got his hands up as he's about to win the race. But what he doesn't realize is the crowd isn't cheering for him. The crowd is cheering for this guy that's coming from about 300, 300 meters down and he is coming fast. And he begins to celebrate early basking in the crowd that's, that's all for him, that is cheering him on to victory until he hears dum, 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 and realizes what the crowd is actually cheering for. Because this guy's with him. And he passes him at the finish line to take the, to take the win. Right? Forgetting what is behind. It just means that, that we have put our past behind us, but we have still learned from those things. But he says... Press on towards the prize. 
I have not yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. We pursue what God has given to us. It's not something that we just fall into, but it's something that drives our every desire, our every moment. We pursue the goal, the prize that is promised by God's heavenly call. And then remember your calling and your confession. Right? It's one of the things that he tells him in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He goes, remember your confession. Remember your calling. For those of you who were baptized, how many remember the day you were baptized? A lot of us can give the day. We know that moment. There's something about it that brings about a change in our lives where we decided that one day to commit to something different. I remember not really feeling that different. But knowing something was dramatically different. People treated me different. People had different expectations that had known me growing up. But now all of a sudden it wasn't just, oh, Josh, he's a kid. Now it's, hey, you ought to know better than that. Sometimes they would even, you know, throw something out there like, I know your father. And I'm not talking about Jerry. you got a heavenly father. Remember, you promised to live for him. Remember, you gave your life to him. Paul saying to Timothy, remember, there's going to be times where you're going to want to forget because this life is not an easy life. This life is not a life that is chosen haphazardly. It's chosen with intention. And there's going to be days you want to forget. Remember your calling. Remember your confession. Remember that day and time when you stood up before men and you confessed that Jesus Christ is my Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And you promise to live your life for him for the rest of your life. We anchor ourselves in that calling and that confession. And when we remember that confession, it brings us back to that little point of life that we received. That energy, that enthusiasm that comes from that new walk in Christ. We need to be willing and ready and able. To remember that calling. To remember that confession. And to remember that time when we laid everything down and said it's no longer I that I live for but you.